0: And. So this morning, uh, we are going to be concluding the series that we did, that we began in October, the Reformation series on calling, and, and specifically, we call it, it's the, Do- the Doctrine of Christian Vocation. And the Doctrine of Christian Vocation uh, is, and vocation is the Latin word for oh, calling. There we go. Uh, that, uh, and so uh, vocation is the Latin word for calling. And so what is, the, the, uh, what is our calling as believers? How has God called us? And this is what we've been exploring this last month. And so I'm going to begin, I'm going to read our first passage. We'll be in several passages today uh, in the New Testament, but I'm going to read our first passage and I'll bring the text up on the screen. It'll be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so we have been, uh, as I said, talking about Christian vocation. And and we've looked at the four major aspects of our calling as Christians. Uh, What what are we supposed to do as believers? And and we broke this into four aspects of uh, work and family and citizenship and in the church. And now to be sure, in each of these, we've only scratched the surface of these areas. But even in them, we have observed our... Uh, our, Our Christian responsibility to love and provide for our family, for those who are under our care, to work excellently with integrity in our labors, that we may bless others and even ourselves, to be faithful citizens in our community, that we may help bring renewal to our neighbor and our city, our responsibility to worship with the people of God in the church and to support one another as members of one body and as we can see on the you can see on the diagram there uh, the, um, the the these areas often overlap in, in a variety of different ways depending on uh, who we are and what circumstances we are in and, uh, and uh, but but the, uh, as we th- consider the specifics and we apply them to our lives uh, we we have to there, there's a danger that arises from all of that as we consider all of these different things Because in our current time, we are are truly tempted to, uh, and sometimes encouraged, to cast off our responsibilities, to to cast off our calling, to instead embrace selfishness, to embrace the desires of the flesh, to embrace and just seek after comfort above all else, pleasure above all else. And we we have a term that we like to call it nowadays, which is self-care, right? I just need a little self which is a good term if you use it appropriately but it's also a term that's used for I'm just going to be selfish for a long time and just going to cast off the needs of others for a while. There is embedded in all of this uh, a, 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 as we talk about Christian vocation and a, a, in all of this is embedded this idea that's a bit of a bombshell that it, it disturbs the minds of many and it is simply this your life matters to God. God cares how you live that can be terrifying to a person who believes their life actually doesn't matter all that much that that my life is insignificant and and and, and so and so that can feel like a lot of pressure. Oh, God is actually carrying on me? And like, you know, if you're the kind of person who if the spotlight comes upon you, you just kind of want to shrink into a corner and melt away. You know, that, you know, it's like now the divine spotlight is upon you. And it's like, ah, I can't handle the pressure. It can also be terrifying if you're someone who wants to define your life in your own way, on your own terms rather than God's terms. But the scriptures are clear. We must embrace the calling that God has placed upon us. This is what he has made us for. These are the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He is the one who is calling us to this life. And we respond to that call by his grace and his spirit. Today, then, is really all about how we can begin to embrace that great and noble calling as Christians. And so we're going to consider then how in all areas of our calling, in family and work and, and, and citizen, our citizenship and in the church, uh, we can begin to embrace that call by considering our calling to a virtuous struggle and our calling to suffering service. So we'll look at each this morning. First, we realize that we are called to a virtuous struggle and, and there's three aspects to, to that virtuous struggle. And, and in terms of, we're going to continue this, this language of calling that, uh, that Paul makes clear in the New Testament that we are called to a worthy life. This passage that we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, bring it back up here. Uh, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To which you have been called. A common metaphor in the Bible for, for living the daily life is walking. Well, why walking? What is, what is walking? You may not like walking. Uh, and to, it, but what is required to walk? We just need to think about it. First, you must be able to walk if you're going to walk. You need to have the intention in your walking. Even if you are simply going for a walk, you have to consider the route you will take, how you will return home. You need to think about the distance you're going to cover uh, and to, the possible dangers you may encounter. It's why A lot of times you'll see people walking in my neighborhood with a big stick because there's somebody's dog running around. You know, So they're carrying a big stick, just to whack-a-dog, or maybe a person. I don't know. I haven't seen that one yet. But, uh, but you have to consider what, what dangers you may encounter. Uh, You have to think about um, uh, the the type of terrain that you're going to be on. Are you walking on a a gravel road, a a dirt road, a a paved road? Are you walking in grass or are you you walking through the brush? You have to think about the weather and the appropriate uh, clothing uh, that you need for that outing. How long and how far you walk depends upon the schedule of your day and other things You need to accomplish. And in fact, now that you think about it, you know, taking a walk is quite a complicated thing. Walking requires thought and intention. Someone who does not consider these things when if they go for a walk would be considered unwise at best or a fool at worst, depending on the severity of their neglect of these things. How often have I as a parent hollered at my younger children to watch out for cars or or dogs or to come back and get their shoes or jacket or pants? (laughs) Just be clothed, please, when you leave the house. Yet so many are in their life running around outside thoughtlessly, without intention, because I just want to be me. And Paul says that, that we have to walk a Christian walk. It is a particular kind of walk. It is a worthy walk. This is apparently a favorite phrase of Paul, to walk worthy, uh, because it's even the motto of uh, Trail Life that we go to on Tuesday, the Boys Ad- Ad- Outdoor Adventure program. But in Philippians 1.27, he says, "...to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." In 1 Corinthians 1.10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. and 1 Thessalonians 2.12, to walk in a manner worthy of God. And here he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. If you have Jesus as your Savior, then Christian, you have been called. The question is not Am I called as a Christian? The question is, does my life line up with the calling that God has given me in Christ? But what calling is that, again? It is the calling to live as holy and royal priests of God, offering up our spiritual sacrifices to him in the areas of our family, our work, our nation, and our church. You know we have uh, we have all these movies that we watch uh, about uh, a poor person who discovers that actually they're long lost royalty. So, um, for some reason, the one that comes to me is a '90s movie called King Ralph. Um, if anyone saw that that John Goodman uh, masterpiece, but uh, and uh, you know there's movies where someone who is insignificant finds themselves called to do something great and daring. This is the very idea behind uh, the Hobbits and the Lord of the Rings. These small halflings are called upon to save all of Middle Earth. Who are they? You know, who are we? We're, we're, we're nobody. We're nothing. Uh, but they are yet. The calling is placed upon them. My brothers and sisters, what they have in fiction, we have in reality. We are called as the royal children of the king. As priests of God, set apart for divine joy and eternal glory. Do we live like that? Do we conceive of our life with that kind of noble dignity? Or are we more comfortable with something a bit more earthy, a bit more dirty? It's like uh, what C. S. Lewis said. We um, in *The Weight of Glory*, the famous quote where he says we. Uh, you know part of the reason we don 't believe Jesus or his promises is uh, is, is not that his, his promises are, are that are, are too great uh, or that, that our expectations are too great, that our desires are too great It's that our desires are way too small because we cannot comprehend what it means to go take a vacation on the coast we 're just perfectly good to play in the mud puddle by the house right um, and that we are far too easily pleased with the fallen things of this earth. And so Paul calls us to raise our expectations, to raise our our, our desires, our longing, to recognize, to embrace the calling that is upon us. Yes, even me, we have a calling. We must commit ourselves to live in a manner worthy of the calling because we are also called, Paul says, to a holy life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 is very short, gets to the point, short and sweet. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And would you believe that he says that six verses after he tells Christians that they need to remember how they were taught to walk and please God with their lives. That we ought to abstain from sexual immorality, learn to control our own bodies in holiness and honor, and not in passionate lust like unbelievers. That the Lord is an avenger against those who do such things. And then he gives this reason why in verse 7. Because God has not called you and I to impurity. He's called us in holiness to be His. In the old covenants, priests were sanctified. They were set apart, made holy unto God through the blood of sacrifice, sprinkled with blood belonging to the Lord. How much more have we as the people of God been set apart By the blood of Jesus Christ. The sprinkling of it. Which makes us holy. And set apart for a great purpose. The reason that we avoid things as Christians. Like sexual morality. That why we seek self-control over our bodies. Is because God has called us to a holy life in him. And the abasement of our bodies. And the pursuit of carnal pleasure is not only destructive destructive and harmful to our very souls. But these are, in fact, beneath us, beneath our calling, because we have been called to something greater. This is why we seek to to love our spouse, to love our children in a holy manner, why we seek to work with our peers in an excellent way, why we follow the laws of our nation, why we worship together with the saints, on the Christian Sabbath, because we have been called to this, a call to a holy life, and, and to live that life brings us into closer fellowship with one another, even as it brings us into closer and closer fellowship with God himself. And in this holy walking that Paul uh, is calling us to embrace and calling us to, he reminds us that we are called to fight the good fight. He says to Timothy, the young pastor in Ephesus, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, when I myself consider all these responsibilities that attend to these areas of of, of family and work and citizenship in the church, I honestly, who is not someone who is like bursting with self-confidence, Right? My, my major is in self-hatred. So, 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 so I, th- it's overwhelming. It's terrifying. There's no way I could do any of this. There's no way I could honor the Lord or please him in these things. And, to, and, and because all my faults and all my sins come running before my eyes, along with the mountain of things that still need to be done, the challenges that need to be overcome, and the afflictions that I can't do anything about and that's when i need paul's reminder it's a fight it's a fight the christian calling is a fight it is a battle paul writes about the armor that the christian must put on daily to engage in that war the enemy is firing his arrows and so and and it is of combat of such a nature that breastplates and helmets and shields are necessary So intense is the fighting that proper belts and footwear are necessary to ensure range of movement to be able to pivot and respond. Further, Paul says, a certain sword is necessary in order to go off on the offensive as well as to ward off the attack of the enemy. It's a fight, Paul says, but it's a good fight. And in this fight, we are are actively taking hold of the eternal life to which we have been called. Now I want you to take in the logic here. We are called by God into eternal life. You don't by the fight merit the calling. But you engage in the fight because we are called. You know, like what would it take for you to say truly and earnestly, not in a metaphorical way, but truly mean I'm going to war? What would it take? Not I'm going to say you know, uh, silly things on social media, or I'm going to boast and brag to people around me. But no, it's, it's actually go to war time. I'm going to strap up, and strap on, and I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to fight. Would you do it for anything? No. What would be the specific requirements to make it worth a fight, to make it a good fight? You know, right now, this you know the ideas, um, you know, the running idea with Ukraine and Russia was that Russia was just going to grind and scare the Ukrainians into giving giving up. But the problem is, is that they've destroyed so much and taking so much that now the Ukrainians have nothing left but to fight, because they're fighting for their very existence. It's a good fight, so they have men and women taking up arms, and everyone's in on the battle. Why? Because their very lives, their existence as a country, is at stake. It's a good fight for them to engage in. Now, here before us is eternal life and the kingdom of God, which Christ said violent men will take by force. He doesn't mean physically attacking people with weapons. Rather, as Paul fleshes out in his letters, fighting the fight of the faith with the armor and the weaponry of God. If you'll embrace at your calling as a Christian, I do promise you it will be a fight. The devil's not attacking people who are on his side or people who are saying we're just going to remain neutral while you do whatever you want. If you're going to love your family as you are called, then you better get your armor on. If you're going to go to work for the sake of Christ in this fallen world, then you better get ready to receive some shots from the evil one. If you're going to live as a godly citizen in this world, then know that you will be hated for Christ. If you're going to love the church and advance her interests, then you better get ready to get attacked because there's nothing more than the devil hates than the church or Christians worshiping in the church. For the world hates Christ. And the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy. But as Paul reminds Timothy, so I want to remind us here today. We have taken up the calling to fight the good fight when we profess Christ to be our savior. It is not a a calling that we can lay down. It's only a calling that we can honor and fulfill in the grace and power of the spirit. The question is not, Christian, are you in a battle? The question is, did you leave your armor at home? Because you're already in the fight. We are called to a worthy life, a holy life, engaged in the good fight. This is the virtuous struggle of our calling. And secondly, and more briefly, we are called to suffering service. What's interesting here is that uh, we can be somewhat surprised um, uh, because uh, we might get all that armor talk and we're going to war. We're going to go punch some non-Christians or something. I don't know. You just kind of gets kind of get worked up. Right. Um, but then uh, but then you're like, well, how does that work? How does it look like? And then Paul then all Paul also talks about he's like, well, you really got to suffer. And Paul and, and Peter, he's like, you got to suffer. And all of a sudden it's all about Suffering. When we talk about living the faith and fighting for Jesus, because we are called clearly to do good while we suffer in this life, in our callings. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is is it if you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's like Paul saying, like, what is it good for you if you steal a bunch of office supplies from your work and they fire you for it and you go, by his grace I will endure, right? I shall overcome the consequences of my thieving. Right? He says, but if doing good and honoring Christ and working excellency excellently, uh, you are unjustly treated by your employer, by your boss, or by your coworkers, then know that God sees that as a gracious thing. That God sees it. He knows it. He knows it. And that you will not go unrewarded. But it still may seem a strange thing for Peter, the apostle, to tell us that we have been called to endure unjust suffering. But Peter understands that the pathway of the Christian is the path of Christ, who himself told us that we must take up our cross daily and follow him. Peter is not saying suffering is good or that the presence of affliction is a wonderful thing. He is saying that when, for the sake of God, we endure unjust suffering and we do good, that this pleases God, and will result in our reward in the end. We have, uh, and, and further, this is this is the follow. We are actually when we do that, following in the example of Christ, who suffered unjustly in order to accomplish the will of the Father on the cross, that He would do good for you and for me. Paul says that is an example for the Christian life. We have referenced suffering in this series uh, in each of our four areas of calling. We must be mindful that when we suffer in our families, in our work, in our nation, in our church, that we are yet called to live out the example of Christ and do good even while. We may suffer and even suffer unjustly. And look, and he also, sees, remember, he's speaking to people who don't, may not have the political power to change their circumstances. If we live in a nation where we have the political power or the ability to change those unjust circumstances, by all means do it. But he's also talking to servants and slaves who can't change the Roman system. And so he says, even if you can't change it, God sees it, God is pleased with you. And it will not go unrewarded by the Lord. This is because we are called to bless and be blessed in Christ. Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And he says, Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for, this, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We are not called To do evil. We are not called to repay evil for evil. We are not called to revile others. That's not what we're called to do, even if they do it to us. Reviling, that word is specific. It means highly insulting speech or verbal abuse. We are not called to that. Our Savior did not return evil or reviling that he received, but was silent before them, entrusting their judgment to the Father. Rather, we are called to bless, Peter says. We pray for our enemies, as Christ told us. We do good for our enemies, as Christ told us. And in doing so, we overcome them. Why? Because this is how Christ regarded us when we were once his enemies. And so even as the New Testament is filled with all this fighting imagery that describes the Christian fight, the way that we fight ultimately seeks to be a blessing to our neighbors as we indeed seek blessing from God. And finally, in this call to suffer and serve, we recognize that we are called to glory in Christ. Continuing in... First Peter, which I almost want to say is the New Testament letter about suffering. I remember preaching through it and just was shocked about it. Every chapter had a section on suffering. But guess what? They must have been a suffering people that he was writing to. Well, he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The good news about suffering in this life is that it's not forever. And that's not just some dark joke about death. Suffering truly has an expiration date. And we must, uh, we, uh, we must uh, you know, even while we may suffer uh, relationally or physically... We must never forget that we have been called yet to eternal glory in Christ, even in the midst of it. And that means that while we may suffer in various areas of our calling, that God one day will uh, the, it, as the God of all grace, will restore, confirm, strengthen and establish us in His kingdom forever. We will look back on our days, even years of suffering, and we will call it like Peter. Indeed, that was just a little while. It was just a little bit of time before the God of all grace came to our aid. Your suffering will give way to glory in the grace of God. Don't forget that in the midst of your calling as you embrace those responsibilities and suffering enters in. As you cast off the alluring calls of our culture to disengage and to instead just seek selfish comfort and distraction. And instead, you pain yourself with, with care and love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You fight against sin. You seek to care for those in your family, in your workplaces, in city, and state and country. As we seek to live truly worthy and holy lives in accordance with our calling as we we are struck by our own limitations, our sins and our failures on a daily basis, as we may even be tempted to despair that we can ever do this, we must remember that we serve the God of all grace. Not some grace. Not grace when you made it 80%. But the God of all grace. When the armor is weighing you down, when your arms are so exhausted that you don't feel like you can lift the shield or sword anymore against the enemy, we have to remember that we serve the God of all grace. And the God of all grace, the apostle says, is there for us. The God of all grace who was there for the apostle when he was crucified upside down. For where we are destroyed, he restores, Peter says. Where we are uncertain, he confirms. Where we are weakened, he strengthens. Where we are crumbling, he establishes. Make no mistake, one cannot live out the Christian calling in their own strength, wisdom, or character. We need and we have, as Peter says, the God of all grace who heals us as we serve him even in the midst of suffering and affliction. What shall we say in the view of all of this? Well, Christian, you have a vocation. You have a calling. You have been called by God to live as holy and royal priests in your family, in your work, in your nation, and in your church. Will we live up to that calling? or we are called to live worthy and holy lives in a glorious fight as we seek to take hold of the eternal life to which we are called in Jesus Christ. And much of that fight... Comes through the daily suffering for Jesus' sake as we bless and are blessed by God, the God of all grace, who will one day bring us into his eternal glory. Let us then, by the Spirit's help and grace, take up our calling this morning and offer up our spiritual sacrifices that in the end we may be found faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have hope and life and, and blessing, that you help us with every need. And Lord, though you do not take every pain away, you do not take any, every thorn of the flesh away from us, you yet, in those times, in those areas, show your grace to be greater than our weakness and you glorify your power in the weaknesses of your saints. And so, Father, we pray that where we see how weak and needy and, and, uh, and we see our inability, we see our failures, we doubt, like Moses, our ability to carry out the mission that you have given to us to live as Christians. Father, we pray that we would remember that you have placed that calling upon us, that you will strengthen and bless and equip us, that you have sent your spirit to live in your people, that you have given us your word and your spirit and your truth. You have given us the Christian community. You have given us the sacraments, the signs and seals of of your covenant, that you have given to us the gift of prayer Father, may we take encouragement and strength. May we be emboldened and go forward with confidence that you send us out into the world. And that wherever we go, we know that we are called by God, our God, to go there and that you are with us and that you will accomplish all that you have for us to do and to be. And Lord, where we fall short, May we not despair. May we confess. May we repent. May we seek to make amends. But may we set our eyes upon Christ. And endure in faith. Striving. Striving after. To take hold of that eternal life to which you called us in your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. Father may this be true of your people. May it be true of We today in this church, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.